the book of James, and uh, we would love for you to follow along with us today as we go through the book of James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. It's a very, uh, very short little verse, packed with goodness. I actually preached on this a few years ago, this particular passage, because it is one of my faves, um, and one of the most misunderstood in my mind, uh, this particular passage. Um, when I work in chaplaincy, um, it's real easy because we're very limited in how much we can talk about God in schools. And so it's very, uh, it's very hard sometimes when you pour, you pour yourself into a student, you help them uh, through a difficult situation, and yet sometimes you can't say anything about God. Um, and it's really difficult because I know my motivation and my love for that student comes from my love of God and his love for me. And so sometimes you get to mention God and, and, and praying for that person. Sometimes you don't. But it's very hard when you aren't able to do that. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of pride. There's a temptation for you to think that it's all about myself and my impact on that person. I know that's, that's tough for a lot of us, especially for those of you who work with people a lot. You're pouring into people. You're, you're taking care of them. You're serving them. And you get home, and sometimes there's a temptation to say, look what I did today, or look what I was able to accomplish today. And in and of itself, that's not bad. But James is trying to teach us today, there's a real temptation to go too far with that in our life. And that can become a real stumbling block for us. It can hinder our relationship with God. And so I'm just going to remind you about that today and, and help you to maybe get a, a better handle on that um, that possibility in your life. You've heard this before. Uh, you have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where you go. Somebody tell me where that's from. Of course. <laughs> the wonderful Dr. Seuss. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've actually heard that uh, at several graduations. Uh, so oftentimes that's that's quoted and it's a great you know um, like all of Dr. Seuss's works it's a cute poem it's it rhymes and it makes sense tells children that they have potential um, they have feet in their shoes that enable them to go places to move forward um, they have brains in their head and they know what they know they have the ability to think and to process things. And thus, as time goes by, they'll be able to decide what to do with their lives. Granted, they'll need some guidance, but they can figure out a lot of stuff on their own. Matter of fact, I'm sure some of you here today think you know it all. <laughs> and you can figure out all of everything on your own. That's not true, but some of you might think that. I agree with all of that. I agree with the fact that we have been given wonderful gifts uh, that we have a brain, we have hands and feet, we have uh, the ability to think and process things, and we can figure out a lot of things on our own. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that we as humans enjoy. Um, you know, other species, other animals don't have that as a gift, and so we, we do, and it's, it's a wonderful gift that we have. But look at what James tells us and the people of his day in James 4, 13 to 16, it says, Now listen, <clears throat> you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go 
to this or that city, spend a year, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mitts that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, he says, you ought to say this. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Are these folks that James were talking about, did they have brains in their heads? Yes. Um, did they have feet in their shoes? Yes, they did. They could travel long distances. They had brains that they can think about. These, are, these men were businessmen. These obviously people that were you know, wanting to make a living and, and make money, which we all have to do. And they all had a direction that they had chosen. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And um, they had chosen and made these decisions. They had planned ahead. They made those decisions because of the things that they knew that they knew. And they were the ones who decided what they were going to do. Now, this is a pretty good business plan, right? If you were to say and sit down with someone and say, this is how you make a business plan, you could use James 4 here, the first part of this verse, and go, this is a pretty good business plan. you got to sit down and you got to think about where you're going to go. you got to think about how long you're going to be there. you got to think about what's, what kind of business you're going to do and how you're going to make money at that business. Overall, that's a, a good plan. They had everything figured out, or almost everything. When were they going to set out to do their business? What does the scripture say? We're going to go today or tomorrow, right? Where would they? Where were they going to go do that? They were going to do that in this or that city, okay? How long were they going to be gone? They were going to spend about a year, 12 months, okay? What were they going to do? They had a business in mind that they wanted to do. And what was their objective? To make money, to make a living. That's right. It was a decent plan. But they had a missing ingredient. What was the missing ingredient? It was God. It was God. And James, that's exactly what he's trying to warn us about. We have a wonderful opportunity to live a wonderful, prosperous, uh, uh, successful life. But it's going to be for nothing if we don't include God within that life. And that's a really big missing ingredient they had left out. God was nowhere in their plans. And God wasn't happy about this, right? He condemned what they did as Evil, really. Evil and boastful. He says, this is not right. God implied that they were proud, that they were arrogant, um, that they had missed out on including him. Now, I was, I was studying this text this week, and something struck me as odd. God condemns these men in James 4 as proud and boastful, but it didn't seem to me that they were doing anything that was proud or boastful. They were just living life. They were just trying to get along like everybody else, right? Just kind of living, going along, trying to, to be successful businessmen, trying to make a plan. 
And when, I, when you first look at that passage, you go, what's wrong with it? There's nothing really wrong with it. When I think of a proud or boastful person, I visualize somebody who's going around saying things like, hey, look at me, I'm really good. You know, or uh, I'm so good, I even surprise myself sometimes. You know, the old song, the old 80s songs, I'm so, my future's so bright, I gotta wear shades, right? Shades at, in, at night. What's that song? I wear my sunglasses at night, right? All kinds of, you know, that's what I think of as a prideful person, somebody who's very full of themselves, can't stop talking about themselves, somebody who is just so focused on themselves. You don't know how lucky you are to have me around, you know, because I am a difference maker. I'm the mover. I'm the shaker. I'm the guy who makes things happen. Um, I'm so good, I don't think you folks could hardly survive without me around. You know, that's the prideful, boastful person that I envision. I don't really envision people who are just trying to set up a business and make a living and, and make a little money and, and, and you know, make sure they have enough for their families. But obviously, there's something I'm missing. And I think it's this idea of pride. This idea of they had gotten to a point where they felt like they could do it all. They were the ones who were in charge, and they were the ones who needed to be in charge. Uh, there was a guy named G. Gordon Liddy. He was uh, one of the main instigators and, and uh, participators of the Watergate scandal in America, if you remember back in the Nixon administration, if, back in the 60s when I was born. And uh, he was on the radio for many, many years after that. He had a, his own radio program. And um, he said this in one of his uh, radio programs. He says, I have found within myself all I need and all I shall ever need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith is in G. Gordon Liddy. And I have never failed me. Um, this idea of pride, that kind of statement just kind of oozes with that idea of pride. This idea that I can take care of myself. I will never make a mistake. I will never fail me. Um, what about pride? Proud people think of themselves as indispensable. Uh, they don't need anyone else. They're self-sufficient. In every word, in every action, you can tell. They don't need, uh, they don't need you to survive their life. Matter of fact, when they try and rely on other people, they see themselves as what? As weak dependent. And so a prideful person not only thinks that they don't need anyone else, but they also think they don't need any help from God in their life. And so um, that pride grows. The thing about pride is that it's kind of, it kind of sneaks up on you. If you were a proud person, oftentimes you don't realize you're very proud. Everybody around you can see it sometimes, but Oftentimes it sneaks up on you and you don't understand. I found in America this is true, uh, very much so. And I don't know if you can kind of question some of the, the people from America uh, about this. But in America there's a, there's a huge work ethic that's a part of our history that says, I am going to work so hard and I'm going to make myself, I'm a self-made man. I am going to make it myself. The American dream, 
that you often hear about moving to America and uh, work starting from the bottom and working your way up and becoming a self-made person. What is that? That's exactly what we're talking about here. That's that pride. That's that I'm going to make it on my own terms and I'm going to make it. I, all I have to do is work hard enough. Okay. James says there's a real danger in this kind of thinking. There's a real danger because you're, you're missing that ingredient. The pride that sneaks up on you. Scripture tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. And that's where that attitude comes oftentimes in our heart. It's a, it's a fabric. It's a foundational part of who we are. And so it becomes deceitful to us. If I was a proud person, I probably wouldn't realize it. I wouldn't think of myself as being proud. I'm not proud. The other guys or the other girls around me, they're the, they're the proud ones. Uh, you see... In their plans, these businessmen that James talks about, they were probably religious men. I mean, the, the book that he, the letter that he was writing, he was writing to Christian people, people who followed God. And so, as he's writing to them, this was, this was a church. When church would, what, why would he have to address this issue? And the main reason why he had to address it was because when church was done, they'd put their relationship and connection with God over to the side or up on the shelf, and then they would go about on Mondays doing what they always did, being a self-made person. And I think we are very guilty of that sometimes. Very guilty of, okay, I've done my God thing. God and I are tight. Now it's up to me. i got to go out there and live that life. It's me. We can even get that way about our Christian life sometimes. We feel like it's our responsibility to live our Christian life all by ourselves, and we don't want to bother God with anything. And we thought, oh, well, you know, God's a real busy person. He doesn't want to hear from me, but he'll be much prouder of me if I go out there and do it on my own. How many of us have had that in our heads? I know I have. This idea that, you know, God wants, if I live a couple of weeks without bothering him, he'll look back, look at Rob down there living life on his own. Man, what a great guy he is. So it's, it's not just pride in ourselves, but it's pride that we can do it on our own and, and we somehow are seeking approval from God himself about this pride, about this, this way that we're living our life. So here's the first clue that you might be suffering from pride. If God is not included in your daily life, if he's not included in your planning of your life, then there's probably some pride there. I didn't think that's what pride was, but that's how James defines it. If you're not including God in your daily plans, if you think you have it all worked out, then there's some pride there. And that's probably all of us here this morning. We all need to start to think differently. When we get up on Monday morning, it's not about just motivating ourselves just to do the work. It's about taking God with us along the journey and allowing him to, to have influence allowing him to have uh, a say in what direction we go, allowing him to kind of say, well, maybe you should rethink the way that you're treating this person at work. Or maybe, you know, I know you're tempted to take the shortcut in school, but maybe you should do the hard work instead. Uh, maybe he's saying, you know, you're not working on your marriage. You work a lot at work. 
but you're not working on your marriage very hard. Maybe you need to, to rethink about what you're doing and what you think is important in your life. Those are the kind of things and decisions and choices that God wants you to begin to think about. And oftentimes we're so busy trying to do it ourselves, we never get there. We never get to, to, to that stage. And so I would ask you this morning to spend some time looking at your choices, looking at your decisions. Ask his opinion before you take a new job. Ask his input before you buy this or that or look for a car or choose a college to go to or who you're going to decide to marry. Big one there. We often leave God out of that particular choice of who we're going to spend the rest of our life with. But we leave him out of a lot of different things. Ask his opinion. Yes, you have a brain in your head. And yes, you have shoes on your feet. But ask him. Ask him. The pride and boastfulness of those businessmen in James 4 was shown in the fact that they they behaved like they didn't need God in their life. Tell me, did you create your feet? No. Did you create your brains? Who did? God did. So if he created those things, shouldn't we consult him when we use them? Shouldn't we confer with him and and live this life with him as we go out to use them? Your body is a marvelous creation. Uh, It has its quirks and shortcomings. (laughs) Uh, It might even not even function very well all the time. But there isn't a scientist on earth that can reproduce the intricate workings of what God has given you. They've been trying to do that, but they cannot recreate what God has created. Do you have feet in your shoes? Do you realize that every time you take a step, you use 200 muscles? Is it little wonder that the scientists and medical professionals Uh, struggle so hard to create prosthetic devices that replace our hands and feet. They've not been able to do it. What God has created is complex. To completely duplicate, duplicate it is an impossible task. They can get close, but they can never recreate. Do you have brains in your head? I didn't even grow up with a computer. Did you know that? I didn't. My computer was a huge set of Collier's Junior's Encyclopedias. Is that even over here? Was that even over here? The the encyclopedia? Do you even know what an encyclopedia is, guys? You've seen them? Seen some covers? (laughs) Yeah? Do you know when I was doing my papers growing up, that's where I went to plagiarize all the stuff in there? Now you just plagiarize it on Google, right? way it works that took up an entire bookcase by the way 
that set of books, do you realize your brain stores five times more information than that encyclopedia set? You can store all that information in your head. We have been created in the image of God. We owe everything we are and everything we can be to him. Another way to find out whether we might be prideful is you're never happy. And if you're never happy, we're probably full of pride. Uh, a prideful person is an ungrateful person. A proud man is an ungrateful man. They're rarely, if ever, satisfied or happy. Henry Ward Beecher said, A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. And that's true. So true. In one of his parables, Jesus tells a story of a rich farmer who decides to tear down his barn so he can build bigger ones. Are you familiar with that particular parable? As Jesus tells us, uh, God said to him this. You know, this farmer, he's wanting, uh, he's had a lot of success. He's had so much success that he th thinks, oh, I'll just tear down my current barns and I'll build these bigger ones so I can store more stuff. And in the parable, God said to him, You fool, this very night of your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus tells us, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And that's this idea. We want to be rich towards God. We want to have and store things up for God, not for ourselves. The rich farmer was a proud man. He didn't think he owed anything to God. So why be grateful to him? He wasn't grateful to him. Why be rich to a God who didn't do anything for him because he did it all for himself? And by that standard, a lot of people in our world are proud. They think that what they have is what they deserve and that which they don't have is owed to them because they work so hard. I talk from time to time with people who are depressed, people who are sad, um, overly sad, so much so that um, that sadness dictates and directs their life. Matter of fact, the sadness and depression of that emotion, it, it actually dictates everything that they do. It, it has control. And when our sadness reaches that point, where it starts to dictate to us what we do, then that becomes depression. It becomes something that, that needs to be seen about. I'll often ask folks who are dealing with this kind of issue in their life to take a piece of paper and write down 10 things for which they are thankful for. And it's a very hard exercise because the depression takes over so much in their life that they are not, they don't see, it, the, they can't see the things in their life that they have to be thankful for. Why do you think I do that every Sunday? Are you bored with that anyway? When I say, let's, let's start the, the Sunday off with uh, seeing things and sharing things that have happened to you this week that are good. Why do you think I do that? Do you think it's just to take up time? <laughs> oh, Rob wants to take up a five minutes, so. Why do you think I do that? Yep, yeah. and I always do the good stuff first 
Because oftentimes the bad stuff, we start thinking about that stuff and it overwhelms us to the point where we can't even see the good stuff. I see, I see marriages, I see couples from time to time throughout 30 years of ministry, I see couples come in and they, they say, we're having troubles. And the, one of the first things I say is, can you just write down on a piece of paper five good things about your partner? They can't do it. Oftentimes they can't do it. But if I say, can you write down all the bad things about your partner? They're there for like 20 minutes. I got like reams and reams of paper of, of stuff. I got to read a novel. You know? That's the way that we are. That's the way that we have become. People aren't thankful because they have this feeling that they have, they feel like that feeling is deserved. They feel like I'm such a bad person. My life is terrible because these things have happened to me or that's happened to me. And they feel like they deserve that. And they, they, get, they sink deeper and deeper in depression and that's not true. It's a lie. Now, if you give most people a tablet of paper and ask them to write down things in their life that frustrate them, things that have gone wrong in their lives, again, the tablet would be full. Because most of us feel like what we don't have is owed to us. Inherently, we are very proud and prideful people, and that keeps us focused on what we have and then what we don't have rather than focusing on the God who gave us all the good things that we do have. Does that make sense? The businessmen in James 4 weren't grateful men because they because what they planned is all about them. They were going to go to this or that city. They were going to go spend a year there. They were going to make money. It was all about what? It was all about them. And what they could do. And the stuff that they had in their life. And the things that they wanted or desired in their life. And do you think if they got that money that they would be happy? They would be happy if they knew where the money came from. But if they, if they just didn't, if they had, you know, it's, it's almost like this world. In this world, we get a little bit of money, and guess what? It's never enough. We need a little bit more. And that's not enough. Oh, we need a little bit more. We need a little bit more. Because we're looking for the wrong thing to satisfy us. We're looking for the wrong thing to fill that gap. I told you earlier, the first time I read that poem from Dr. Seuss, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. And as I read it the first as I read it the first time I even wondered is you know does Dr. Seuss even believe in God? If he's just saying we were self-made people, but I read uh, about Dr. Seuss and in fact he's been a Christian all his life. And so no I I doubt that he deliberately intended to flaunt God's power here and say that you're a self-made person. I don't think he meant that when he wrote this. The poem was probably just a, uh, what seems like a, a childhood story that was meant to encourage children 
to believe in themselves, that they should decide where they want to go with their lives, that this, this lesson is very important for our young people to know and to learn from. And I'm sure many have been inspired by it. But without God being involved, that can really lead to a case of pride in our life. And a good question to ask here is where do you want to go with your life? You have feet in your shoes and brains in your heads. You know what you know, and you can decide where you want to go. So where do you want to go? That's the question. And even more importantly, who do you want to go with? So there's your question today. You see, this life isn't going to last forever. My friend learned a very hard lesson this week when he walked into his son's bedroom and found him lifeless and passed away. This life is not guaranteed. We don't, we don't have a, a certificate <laughs> that says you get, to, you get this many years in this life. We may not know. We may not know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with our life. And so because of that, we need to be ready. We are amidst, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Hebrews tells us, man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. One day an ambitious university student was talking with a wise older uncle and the uncle realized that his nephew had, had left God out of his plans and so he guided the conversation in this way and this was their interchange. Joe, the uncle asked, tell me what you plan to do after you graduate from college. Oh, I guess I'll start my career, said Joe. Well, that sounds very prudent, said the uncle. What then? I guess, said Joe, I'll get married and have a family. Oh, that's wonderful, said the old man. What then? Well, replied Joe, I guess I'll make my fortune. Well, that's, that's very good for you, said the uncle. What then? Then, said Joe, I'll, I'll buy a country home and I'll retire. That sounds really inviting, said the uncle. What then? Well, then I suppose, said Joe, that one day I'll just die happy. Well, that's true, said the uncle. What then? See, our, our focus and our vision is really narrow. We're only really thinking about the here and the now. But what if your life is required of you tomorrow? What then? I could almost guarantee you if you knew you were going to pass away in the next 24 hours, you would live your life quite differently. You would talk to people that you hadn't talked to for a long time. You would do things and you would have a difference in your life that you don't have right now. That's why James wants us to think about how we live life and what's important in our life. Maybe you should start the list right now. Maybe each and every day you go home and you go, okay, what if I die tomorrow? What is it that I need to do now? Who do I need to talk to? Maybe, the, maybe you need to get in touch with somebody and ask forgiveness. Maybe you need to uh, um, forgive somebody who's wronged you. Maybe you need to talk to one of your family members that you haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe you need to talk to your wife or husband and tell them something that's 
really important. Maybe your children. Maybe there's lessons that you haven't taught your children yet that you, you think, oh, I should probably tell them that right now. It's very important to put this life into perspective and to understand that this self-made kind of lifestyle that we live, it just creates a lot of pride, envy, um, covetousness, all those things that just tear us down and break up all of our relationships. So I, I suggest you to change. You'll do it God's way. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Live, live like this for a week and see what happens. See how God might bless you in your relationships. See how God might bless you um, in your happiness and joy. Maybe you won't be as negative of a person. Maybe you'll really start to figure out what's really important in this life. Um, perhaps um, it could allow us to change and to become closer to God and to, to take him with us. One of the things I think about, and I'll close with this, I think about this a lot as I get older. Um, I think about this idea that if I don't take God with me every day, and if he's not an important part of my life in all of my interactions with people, maybe he won't know me when I get there. You ever think about it that way? Maybe God won't know me when I get there if I don't know him now. Does that make sense? I think we need to take God wherever we go. And he needs to be involved in every aspect of our life. I think if we do that, we would live differently. And we would be a lot happier and more fulfilled in our life. So I just encourage you to think about that today. Maybe uh, spend some time reading over that James 4 passage and looking about how, how it might change us into uh, the people God wants us to be. So let's pray. Hey, God, thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for guiding us and leading us. Lord, we were, uh, we're so thankful that we have good things in our, li our lives. Open our eyes to your blessings. Help that to be the forefront of every day, looking for those opportunities um, to interact with you and to allow you to guide us and, and help us to live this life the best that we can. So that one day when we do come face to face with you, um, there'll be a twinkle in our eye and a smile on our lips because we will ha have such a close relationship that you will know each other instantly. Lord, please, please guide us and direct us um, and give us time and space um, to think about how to incorporate you more in each and every day of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.